0: All right, Outline should be on the table. In front of you, we are in chapter 3 of Genesis. Uh, we had looked at most of verses 1 through 7 in regard to the fall. Um, what I'm going to do is read those seven verses again, but only going to talk about verses 6 and 7. We don't have time to go back and do 1 through 5 again. So after I pray, we'll read those verses and, and continue on. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the great food. Um, We are just very thankful. Pray that you would use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies, and I pray that you will speak to us uh, through the Spirit from from your precious Word this afternoon, and I pray that we will uh, learn and be inspired and encouraged. We thank you for the significance of this week. We pray that uh, the rain would stop so they can have the Easter pageant later today at UMHB, and then that the you will bless tomorrow evening and Friday evening and then Sunday morning as we celebrate here. So Father, we love you, adore you, thank you, bless us now in Jesus' name, Amen. Remember um, what I've heard was they have postponed the 12 o'clock Easter pageant to to 1:15. So I know that depends on what happens in the next few minutes, whether they'll get to do that or not. Um, the three is it three or 3:30? 3:30 and 5:30 are still on but of course we just 3 it's 3:03 three, oh, three and 5:30 so let's pray that uh, at least by that time the weather will move out and they can have the pageant it's always a blessing to so many people a great witness tomorrow night at 6:30 here Jews for Jesus representative uh, Dan Sered will be here he is an Israeli and uh, he will be here uh, talking to us about Christ and the Passover and then Friday night at 6.30 we have our Good Friday service, so I hope you can be here for both of those. And then, of course, Sunday morning we have our regular schedule, but uh, Easter is anything but a regular day. So hope that hope that you can be here for all of that. All right, let me read verse 1 of uh, chapter 3 and on through verse 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from, its, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All right, we, we don't have time to review verses 1 through 5, but let's pick up with verse 6. I divided the, the first seven verses into two sections. One, dialogue to dissent. In descent, it's spelled D-E-S-C-E-N-T, not descent as in political descent, but descent as in going down. So, uh, dialogue, there's dialogue that leads to descent, and then verses 6 and 7, there is the descent. So that's where we pick up this afternoon. Eve is at the edge of the abyss, and she steps right in. Adam is at the edge of the abyss. And he also steps in. Um, here's a shocker. We talked about this briefly three weeks ago today. Um, I think the general, the NIV translates this a bit differently. I think they've taken a little liberty with the text, but they're accurate in saying it. In other words, the concept is correct, though I, don't, I think they've taken the Hebrew wording and put something there that really isn't. Totally there. But nevertheless, um, it says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. I think the accurate translation is gave to her husband along with her. So it doesn't, in that the more accurate translation, doesn't really say that he was standing there the whole time. But he was. And we know that because when the serpent addresses Eve and he uses the word you, he uses you in the plural. Not in the singular, but in the plural. So Adam's standing there the whole time. So if your picture, and mine used to be this way, if your picture was that Eve and the serpent did all this and then Adam comes strolling along, whistling through the trees, and Eve offers him some fruit and he takes it, that's not an accurate picture. He was there the whole time listening to everything that was said. And so all that did for me when I discerned that was it made me madder at Adam than I already was. So um, he's present for the whole thing. And that says something about his conviction, his commitment, his uh, courage. Um, It says something about what kind of husband he is. You know that he just stands there and lets his wife do what he knows is in violation of God's Word, and he doesn't do anything. He just passively watches and then joins with her. Well, Satan um, gets Eve to partake first, then Adam. Now, Adam's not stupid. Uh, My mother didn't let me use the word stupid. Stupid. She's not here, so I can use that word. <laughs> Adam wasn't stupid. He knew this was wrong. His eyes are open. John Milton said that Adam had insight into the mysteries of the soul, and that insight was honed in the naming of the animals. He willfully and without hesitation entered into sin. I mean, there's no debate. There's no, let me sleep on it. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me go talk to God about it. He just does it without hesitation. So from innocence and intimacy to the pit of guilt and estrangement, all of that happens in verses 6 and 7. Their constant Communion with God has died. So, this is important, they wanted knowledge. That's what it says. He saw the tree was desirable for wisdom. So they wanted it and they got it. And the result is now they see evil. Never seen it before, but now they see it. They see themselves, they see their nakedness, and it becomes a shame for them. Their innocence is gone, guilt and fear now grip their hearts. Proof positive that sin takes hold when we begin to doubt God's Word and God's goodness. That's what happened with Eve and with Adam Later in the Pentateuch, particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses will record for us in a very clear way the importance of adherence to the Word of God. So let me read to you some of what he said. First of all, Deuteronomy 6, beginning with verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Dropping down to verse 14. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and His anger will burn against you, and He will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massah previously in their wilderness wanderings. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees He has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised On oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt. And Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. What part of that is difficult to understand? None of it. One more passage, then we'll move on. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 46 and 47. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not Just idle words for you. They are your life. What part of that do we not understand? We do understand it. Adam and Eve um, should have known better. They did know better. Well, more on that in a minute. Okay. Now, I want to go to verse 8 through 13, and I've entitled this, Confronted with Sin. So, God's going to confront Adam and Eve now with with what they've done. Um, When you were a child growing up, did you relish being confronted by your parents over an issue of disobedience? (laughs) I'm sort of doubtful that anybody in here would say, oh, I loved it. No, we didn't. So Adam and Eve were uh, not going to enjoy what is about to happen. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, do you think God didn't know? I mean, was this kind of like God's going, I didn't know that. No, God knew. And it's sort of like your mom and dad confronted you and said, What have you done? They already knew what you'd done, but they confront you, and you got to verbal—you have to verbalize it. You have to answer. The man said, "Now watch what Adam does here. The first two words, the first noun. Uh, right away, you know this is not going to go well. The woman." The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So do you see a pattern here with Adam and Eve? Of course, we don't know anything about that pattern, do we? Yeah, yeah, it's never my fault. I didn't do it. It's always somebody else or something else. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite heroes of all time. Uh, German pastor, anti-Hitler, arrested for his opposition to Hitler, executed near the end of the war. Great pastor, great author, written many books, probably his greatest one is on discipleship. But he also wrote a little book on temptation. And in that book, here's what he said. With irresistible power... Desire seizes mastery over the flesh. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or or greed for money. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. I thought that's a profound statement. I don't know that he's the first person to ever say that, but the first time it grabbed my attention. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. The questions present themselves. Is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? Is it really not permitted to me? Yes, expected of me now here in my particular situation to appease desire. It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. I don't know how in the world it could be said any clearer. Eve minimized the freedom that God had given she and Adam to eat from the trees of the garden by not saying what God had said. I think we talked about that maybe three weeks ago. God said you can eat of every tree in the garden except the one. She left out every tree. It was an unenthusiastic minimizing of God's gracious provision. Instead of saying, you may eat from every tree, which is what God said, she said, we may eat of the trees of the garden, the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now, that may sound like quibbling over words, but it's not. It's not. She's minimizing God's provision in her mind. And if you're going to quote God... Do it accurately. She then added to what God said. God never said not to touch the tree. She adds, God said, "Don't eat it and don't even touch it." Now you think about it, and you might say, "Well, that's really a pretty good idea. Don't don't even touch it. Well, that's not bad." But that's not what God said. And she added to what God said. So what is she doing there? Very subtle. She is magnifying his strictness. She's adding to. She's magnifying his strictness. Now, think about it. When we don't like a prohibition, we have ways of making it sound worse than it really is. And that's what she did. That's what she did. Then she turned around and softened his word in regard to the certainty of death, should they sin. Eve's revision of God's word left her open to believe the lie of Satan. Now, what did she say? She said, God said, you shall certainly die. And she leaves out the word certainly and just said, God said we'd die. Now, what's, what's the difference? She's avoiding the certainty of what God had said would happen. Now, we say, well, wait a minute, she didn't die. Oh, yes, she did. And yes, he did. Oh, not physically, they're still standing. But they are now dead on the inside. Death has come to Adam and Eve. Satan, against all her experience of God's goodness, has lied, and she falls for the lie. She rose up against his word and took the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband. Adam's transgression is worse than Eve's. Now, I realize that's my opinion, but that's my opinion. Adam's transgression was worse, and here's why I believe is worse. Number one, God's word had been given directly to Adam before Eve was even created. Secondly, he was present with Eve during the entire temptation as evidenced by Satan's use of the plural you in his address of Eve. And number three, Adam, in self-serving passivity, allowed his wife to eat while he stood there and watched. Men... If, if you're outside working in the yard with your wife and she bends over to pick up what appears to be a stick and she reaches down to pick it up and you see that it's a snake, are you just going to stand there and say, go for it, baby? <laughs> of course not. You'll do anything in your power to stop her from picking up that snake. Adam stood there and watched his wife take the fruit and said absolutely nothing. I don't get it. I mean, I do get it because I'm a sinner. But I don't get it as to how he could possibly allow that to happen. His own rebellion was an informed rebellion. His eyes were wide open. he knew exactly what he was doing. It was a self-serving rejection of God and His Word, and it is an unspeakable act of rebellion against God. Now, having said that, being pretty rough on Mr. Adam, aren't I? Is my sin any better? Is it not true That when we sin, almost every time we know exactly what we're doing, and we do it anyway. It's not like, oh, I didn't know that was sin. We know it. And we say it, we do it, we think it, whatever it may be, or we don't do it, whatever the sin may be. So as a result, for Adam and Eve, paradise is lost. Somebody ought to write a book about that. The carefree nakedness that went with their perfectly transparent character and their complete harmony with God and each other is gone. It's dissolved. Both Adam and Eve died right there at the base of the tree of knowledge of good and evil while licking the fruit from their lips. Physical death? Not yet. Spiritual death? Absolutely. Henri Blocker said in in a book he wrote on Genesis, In the Bible, death is the reverse of life. It is not the reverse of existence. To die does not mean to cease to be. But in biblical terms, it means cut off from the land of the living. It is diminished existence, but nevertheless an existence. Existence. Since dying is existing, Adam and Eve's existence was now one of death. And not only that, sin immediately penetrated every sphere of their being like a drop of dye in a pail of water. They were at once utterly sinful. I had to read that four times before I understood it. But I agree with it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the way Paul said it. Also in Romans... Paul said in chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. All have sinned. That describes an action completed in pastime. We all sinned when Adam sinned. We inherited the sin nature. And thus we died. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, and that's just about as far as we'll get today. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The first couple, the first couple passed from life to death. From sinlessness to sin, from harmony to alienation, from trust to distrust, from ease to dis-ease. And it happened in a millisecond. Just like that. That's not a millisecond. That's more than a millisecond. But That's how fast it happened to them. Now Adam and Eve look ridiculous, standing before God in fig leaves. Like, what did they think that was going to do? Well, next time, we'll pick up, really, we're still in 8 through 13, and I haven't even gotten to verse 8 yet. This is just sort of in the overview. <laughs> so, we're going to dissect verses 8 through 13 when we come back together next week. So, I hope you'll, uh, I hope you'll be here. Well, God bless you. I, I, um, I wish for all of you a wonderful Easter season. Um, if you do travel, going to see family or friends, wherever, please be careful and hurry back home. If you're here, then I hope to see you Thursday night, Friday night, Sunday morning. It's going to be a great week as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Father, thank You for speaking to our hearts through Your Word. And I pray, Father, that we would be faithful adherents to the Word of God. All of it, all that You say that we will understand it and obey it. And now at this special week, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, I pray that you'll be honored and glorified by the way in which we celebrate and rejoice. Thank you a thousand times over. We thank you for Jesus our Savior, His death on the cross, His glorious resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.